Man City lose here whilst they're not competing. Did get yellow carded very early on in the match for being a bit too eager coming out of her goal and taking out, I think it was Leah Carlton. But, uh... <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB Koyig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It was so unexpected. You had to be there. Covering Celtic at that time was a brilliant thing. The atmosphere at Parkhead was always great. You had to be there. Nobody ever talks about this game. Nobody saw it. Uh, you had to be there. Now I am joined in studio by Phil Egan. We also have Irish Times sports journalist Malachy Clerken on the line to talk about Malachy's selections of You Had to Be There. Five excellent choices from Malachy. Uh, only one of them I have been at personally, but I'm looking forward to chatting to them. How are you doing, Malachy? I'm well, Kathleen. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. And Phil, you said you've been at one of these before as well? Yeah, yeah, one of them. And it was, yeah, and when I saw this, uh, it just brought back the, the memories of, of working at it. And just... The, the heart rate was oh my god yeah I, we, we'll get into it we'll in, get into in it more but my god it just yeah Malachi you've obviously been to quite a lot of exciting events over the last few years what was your thought process when you were thinking about the events you wanted to choose you're very kind Kathleen you're about to say over your very long long <laughs> career you very old never, man never never very old old man uh, yeah like uh, my my response um when Andy got on to me yesterday was, uh, yeah, yeah, five is going to be hard to pick here. Um, because um, I was really, really lucky uh, in the early part of my career when I worked in the Sunday Tribune. Um, I was a, kind of a general sports writer and managed to get to a lot of different different sports. These days I, I, I do mostly GAA. But I got to travel an awful lot during the 2000s and go to an awful lot of great sport. Like I went to Ryder Cups and the Masters and uh, Olympics and the World Cup and uh, the Euros and uh, Cheltenham Gold Cups and Grand Nationals and all that sort of stuff. And it was all fantastic, you know, like there was, there was an awful lot of it. But my thought process, funny enough, the first thing that jumped into my mind was a really early one. And I think I only have it at like two or three on my list, but it was, I, I did the Euros in Portugal in, in 2004. And it was my first time being away, really. It was certainly my first time at a big tournament. And I there was loads of great matches at it, but there was there was one particular one and we'll get to it. I, I think you guys want to do this in order. So I'll, I'll talk about it then. But the it was the starting point for when I was drawing up a list because... Um, a lot of them, a lot of them, the um, the thing that I remembered about them changed the older I got, if that makes any sense, and mm. that'll become more and more apparent as I as I as go you go through, through your them. list. <laughs> but the first, but but the one at the Euros in two thousand and four was just it. It was a matter of being. It was, it was the first time. I don't know if it was the first time, but it was the time that really stands out in my memory of going. Holy shit! This is this is this is a great life I've chosen for myself here. <laughs> just, this is brilliant. Like, well done, me. <laughs> a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll get straight into it then. So, 2017 All Ireland Football Final, Dublin versus Mayo is your first pick of the bunch. Were you working at this one, or were you there as a spectator? Not only was I working, but I had to file on the whistle. Oh so uh, I, I had to take uh, the most incredible sports event, I'd say, 
that I've ever been asked <laughs> and file a report on it about five minutes after it finished. So, um, yeah, that was a very heightened experience. And like I knew at the time, and I think all of us that were there and everybody that watched knew at the time that it was an extraordinary piece of sport. Um, but I've gone back to it since a couple of times. And actually last year, yeah, ahead of the Dublin Mayo semi-final in 2021, I actually went back to it and did a big piece looking back at it. Essentially because I wanted to see, like, was I kidding myself or was I over-romanticizing it or was I making it out to be a bigger thing or a better thing than it actually was? And it turned out that I had I had sort of lowballed <laughs> it, that the quality of it was really, really beyond extraordinary and only matched by the drama of it. Like like a million things happened in that match. I think when and and now we can now we're sort of far enough removed from the dubs winning their six in a row and and particularly their five in a row because the sixth one was was in the pandemic and it was a kind of an anomalous one, but they all count, of course. But I think we're far enough removed to go back and see that that was the dubs at their best, that the the semi-final, they had demolished Tyrone, uh, a Tyrone team that people had kind of fancied and they had just completely shown that... You know, they had worked out how to play against the team playing with a blanket defence. That it was what everything had led towards since since Donegal had beaten them in, in 2014. And Conor Callahan had just arrived. And when I say arrived, like he scored a goal after 83 seconds of his first All Ireland final by skinning Colin Boyle, uh, like a four or five time All Star. Like it was just ridiculous in his first, the first time, his first touch of a ball in an All Ireland final. I think that was the best Dublin team. Like they, and and the, and by extension, I think it was the best Mayo team. You know, it was everybody was fit. They had no injuries. Lee Keegan was there. Tom Parsons. It was the best best season of Tom Parsons' life. Um, Aidan O'Shea was. <laughs> I think I think Mayo scored nine points in the first half, and Aidan O'Shea had a hand in eight of them. Like he, he had an extraordinary first half performance, and still still got uh, shit for it afterwards because <laughs> he took on a, a stupid shot with the outside of his boot that he didn't score in the second half at a bad time. It was a bad miss. And but the two the two teams were so well matched and they went at it. It was just mile a minute and it was phenomenal. And it was and it came down to what it came down to. Like it came down to the last minute. Killian O'Connor misses a free at one end of the pitch that's an inch to the left, two inches to the left, it goes in off the post rather than coming out off the posts. Dean Rock scores a free at the other end with Lee Keegan throwing his GPS at him. It was it, it was really monumental game of football, and for it to be in the All Ireland final is like it happens once a decade that the best match of the year is in the All Ireland final. It happens almost never that the best match of a decade is an All Ireland final, and I know. There were a lot of great matches in the 2010s. I know a lot of people would would say that the 
All Ireland semi final in twenty thirteen between Kerry and Dublin was probably the best match, and I was at it too, and it was just mind blowing as well. But to me, for sheer drama, for the two best teams to be duking it out like that, um, that that game just stands above. It. I think it's. I look. I don't know recency bias and all that, even though it's like five years ago now, but. I think it. I think it stands above anything I, I've ever been at. How many words do you have to file for that? <laughs> oh, they didn't care. You see, the great thing about about the live report uh, after a game is that um, there's no there's no dedicated word count. It's not like you have to fit a certain amount into the newspaper. It goes up online. So I just wrote and wrote and wrote. I'd say it was about a thousand words. <laughs> I think it was just and it just kind of. But but when it's that good, it just pours out of you. Like there was so much incident. The whole tone like, of the piece, though, is hanging in the balance. Totally, totally. Like, there was a brilliant... Actually, when I went back to, to do the piece last year, um, there was an 11-minute period. Actually, hang on, I get I, I, I get what I wrote here, because it's... Um, it, it actually... Yeah, there was an 11-minute period at the start of the second half from, say, 42 minutes to 53 minutes, where... So Stephen Cluxton makes a brilliant save from Jason Doherty. Uh, Dublin go up the other end of the pitch Paul Mannion straight in on David Clark he makes a brilliant save two minutes later John Small like mistimes a shoulder and Colin Boyle uh, second yellow card everybody knows he's about to get a second yellow card and this is it like the whole of Mayo everybody knows oh my god there's a half an hour left here Dublin are going to be down a man this is it this is this is this is actually happening and it lasts like two seconds because Donald Vaughan comes in and buries him uh, and gets sent off himself. And, and you're just going. And that, that those two saves of the two red cards happened within like four minutes of each other. Um, then Dublin score a few points. Then Lee Keegan comes forward for a goal. Then, um, yeah, he comes forward for a goal. And so what it was, in the space of 11 minutes, there had been two point-blank saves, two red cards, a Mayo goal into the hill, Five points scored from five attempts and not a single wide. And then you just, everybody sort of sits around and goes, there's 20 minutes left here. This game is insane. <laughs> Even listening good. to that, you're like, how did that all fit into just 11 minutes yeah, of playing yeah, time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just, uh, it was it was unbelievable. It really, it really, really was. And it stands, I, as I say, it, I think it stands the test of time. I think... I think it's the ultimate argument in any any like we we all know how great that Dublin team was. Like we're all lucky to have been around for it, even though it didn't probably feel like it for an awful lot of us in the middle of it because they just kept winning and winning and winning. But like in year in twenty years and thirty years, we'd be able to go look. That was it. Like say what you want about the players today, but that team was spectacular they really were fantastic like we forget Jack McCaffrey went off after three minutes of this game um, with a um, he did his knee like he was gone for, after three minutes Paul Flynn had to come on and play uh, play in midfield James McCarthy had to move back like that that's the level of player you're talking about but any argument that there ever is about Mayo being bottlers or Mayo being chokers or whatever I mean I just challenge anybody to watch that game they they absolutely lived, not even lived, like they, they outplayed the greatest Dublin team of the age for long stretches of that match. 
they weren't good enough to win, and that's fine. And you know, they they never won their All Ireland. But I always go back to that game, and I and if for anybody who sneers at 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 those Mayo teams, uh, like they're just they don't know anything about sport if they can watch that game. And like they played geez, so many games that went to draws and replays and all of that sort of stuff. And fine, Dublin were better in the end, but Dublin were better than everybody in, in the end. Nobody else was anywhere close. And uh, yeah, that yeah that game will that'll be with me forever. A bit of a change for your second one compared to that, but we have the Cheltenham, 2008 Cheltenham Gold Cup, yeah. named one of the most memorable races ever. Where is this? What, what was this one for you? Why did it stick out? Did I read that initially when you started out in your sporting career, racing wasn't really something that Not you took all. much interest in, and then obviously Not, yeah. you've kind of gone the other direction now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like it was funny. Again, it goes back to how lucky it was. Uh, working in the Tribune at the time, like we had a very small staff, so you don't get to sort of say, well, I'm just a soccer writer or I'm just a GA writer. Like everybody sort of did everything. And in around 2004, they said, go on, you go over and do Cheltenham. And literally, like I, 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 I don't downplay this in the slightest, 2004 Cheltenham was the first time I'd ever been to a horse race. Uh, you know, I ha- I could not have told you. I barely knew the front end of a horse from the back of it. Like, I really <laughs> had no, I had no expertise, no sense of anything really. I, I, you know, it wasn't even a sport that I was overly interested in growing up because, like, to me, like it was very hard to understand it, it always seemed to be about gambling and I wasn't a big gambler and my dad was never like we'd we'd back back a horse in the Grand National but the, you know that'd be it you know the last thing you'd be doing on a Saturday would be checking out you know who won the 320 at Kempton like it just never never occurred to us and um but I went to Cheltenham in 2004 and, and it is a, it's an extraordinary event and in an extraordinary place. And the more I got into it, the more I met the people involved in it. Like there's some of the most incredible sports people around, uh, jockeys especially, but trainers too. Like it's a, it, it, it's a really weird life to pick for yourself and you kind of, you're mostly born into it. Very few people kind of decide to come from the outside world into it because can be quite clannish but it's also an awful lot of hard work and all of that sort of stuff but anyway by 2008 one of the things that we had done in the Tribune was we had brought Ruby Walsh on as a as a as a columnist and I was ghostwriting it and I basically sat down with Ruby and said I know nothing really about horse racing so you're going to have to talk to me as if I'm a two-year-old here and essentially this column isn't going to be you tipping horses every week. It's going to be you explaining to uh, an uneducated world what the world of horse racing is like. And it was a very good column. And like Ruby, as as he has gone on to be on TV now in in retirement, is a brilliant explainer. Like like he he would balk at me saying this because he never liked school, but he would be a brilliant teacher because he takes everything down to brass tacks and makes it really easy to understand while making it completely compelling. And he's one of Ireland's greatest ever sports people. Like, he's just an extraordinary winner. Um, And so I had become quite close to him. And 
in 2007, he had had this amazing season with Cotto Star. And Cotto Star was the first like superstar horse that I got to kind of understand and kind of looked out for when his races came and all that sort of stuff. And um, by 2008, his stablemate had come along, this huge horse called Denman. And again, you know, like three years beforehand, I wouldn't have known the difference in styles between the two of them. Cotto Star was this regal prince of a horse, like this beautiful, gorgeous thing that you know, uh, could win races at loads of different distances, could win at two miles, could win at three and three and a quarter miles, but like was fast, but also stayed. And odd, like did this, this complete piece of equine perfection. Whereas Denman was this big bull of a thing. Like you could, like he was a monstrous thing. And they called him the tank. And they were at the same yard, Paul Nichols' yard in England. They were in the same stables, like they literally lived one box over from each other. And so it was this great um, sort of, there was this great narrative around it. And even, even at that, like I wouldn't have included that here, except for, and this is what always sticks with me, there's the Gold Cup, on Gold Cup Day at Cheltenham, there's about... There's about 40 minutes between the the race before the Gold Cup and the Gold Cup. And the whole week becomes about that race. And some years, it's a middling out of Gold Cup. You know, the, the horses are scratchy enough. There's no obvious superstar. Um, or some years, there's a really obvious superstar and the rest of them are all just kind of out with the washing and nobody, you know, there's no real excitement around it. Whereas this year... There was these two horses. There was Denman and there was Cotto Star. Ruby had had the choice. He, he could have chosen to ride either of them. So that was, you know, that was a subplot going on. They were both trained by the same guy, Paul Nichols, and everybody pretty much knew that it was going to come down to these two. And the reason I picked it for this list is anytime I'm ever asked about the sporting event you were at where there was the most tension... I always come back to this. And I don't know, I, I don't know if, again, with all of these things, it's all subjective and maybe you're overselling things. But I remembered the half an hour, 40 minutes before that race. And like Cheltenham is this wild place. Like there's, and especially on Gold Cup Day, there's thousands there and people are, people are half paced and people are betting and everybody's having a good time. But the tension, the tension, because everybody had one or the other. And, well, what do you think? What do you think? Who's it going to be? Do you have Caudle? Do you have Denman? Who'll it be? Who'll it be? I don't know. I don't know. Because literally nobody knew. Nobody could say, if you were going with any confidence, you were kind of spoofing, really. You know, there was nobody could say for sure how this race was going to turn out. And um, I remember remember clear as day, I was there with Vincent Hogan from the Indo and Philip Quinn from the Mail, He's the male now. Was he the male then? I can't remember. But anyway, it was the three of us. And we went down to the last fence. And that's the great thing about Cheltenham as well, that you can walk to the inside of the course and stand at the last fence and watch them go by. And in all, actually, in all the years that I, not all the years, but any time I'd been to Cheltenham, I don't remember having actually done that. Certainly not for the Gold Cup. And I remember we were down at the last fence when they came round just before they went out on the final circuit. And the three of us were standing. We could have been no more than eight feet from where the where the horses passed, 
and you get you you got that sense of like when you watch horse racing on TV and they do these graceful jumps over the fences, you go, wow, it's such, such it's nature, it's such beautiful poetry that they're they they they're involved in. Jesus Christ, when you're up close to these these horses and it's God Almighty, especially Denman, like you have to kind of step back because they're these powerful, huge machines going at a massive, massive pace. Denman kind of let it out and, and in the end ran ran Cotto's stamina out of him um, and galloped up the hill and went away and won. And uh, I remember because I was, was, was close enough to Ruby at the time and, and we would go on to write, write a book together, um, I remember kind of feeling... Ah, like I, I, I wanted Cotto to win, you know, or I wanted Ruby to win back-to-back uh, gold cups, which he he came back the following year and and won the two thousand and nine one. But I wanted it for him, so I was a bit kind of down at the result. But I I came away going, I I I've never been around any a place where there was that that real thick tension for for forty minutes before an event. Malachi, I feel like I was there just listening to you describe it. We may have to run through your final three a bit quick because you could literally talk to you for hours about this. But your third one is 2004 France versus England at the Euros. The Zidane free kick. I think a lot of people will remember the end of this one. Well, yeah, like, and I, I kind of vaguely mentioned this before. Like, I was 25, I think. It was my first time ever at a big tournament. Like, I was a soccer guy growing up, really. That was my sport, you know, and... Um, to be at a major tournament was like, you know, over the years you become like, you, you know, you, you become less, not, not, not impressed with it all, but you understand that, look, it's a job, you know, at, at, at the back of it all, you go, you get the work done, you leave and you can't be a fan your whole life. But like I was 25 and this was on a Sunday night. That's important because I was working for a Sunday paper. So this was essentially a night off. And I was in Lisbon, one of the world's great cities, going to watch England play France, which was the kind of glamour tie of the first uh, first round. And I had no work to do. So it was fantastic. It was a free hit. And Rooney played in that game. And Rooney was 17 and was taking the world by storm. And well, he absolutely battered France. Um, and England went ahead. Rooney skated in, uh, beat, beat three or four of them to get uh, in for a penalty. Uh, which Beckham hit and uh, Barthez saved. And that would have won the game for England. Um, and in the 90th minute, France get a free on the uh, edge of the area. And I, I, I'll never forget this thought. I remember going, all right, Zidane, if you're the man, let's see it. Let's see it. <laughs> he absolutely did it. So you, you're you crediting yourself with getting that Zidane free kick in, are you? <laughs> Not really. But what I was in my head was going, Jesus Christ, I'm here for this. Yeah. I, holy, like, like I, in in my head, I was going, I, I'm here. This is a magnificent game. This is one of the world's greatest players. He was my favorite player at the time, of course, but like he was everybody's favorite player at the time. But I, it was my first time ever being in... I think ever being in the company of an all-time great, and he actually went and did the thing that made him the all-time great. And then two minutes later, um, he scored a penalty as well. Steven Gerrard gave a stupid ball back to David James. Thierry Henry was fouled, and Zidane scored the winner. So that was it. That was that. That was. That was brilliant. That was really brilliant. 2008 was clearly a good year for you because you also have the Olympic 100 yeah. meter final yeah. with Usain Bolt. 
Yeah, and like this is, you know, I'm not an athletics reporter. I, n- I never was, but, you know, you go to the Olympics and you cover everything. And I remember it was the day that Darren Sutherland won his bronze medal. Um, and I had to run from it across. It was a Saturday, so I'd, I had a lot of, uh, it was a busy day, but it was great. Like you're at, you're at the Olympics, there's an Irish medal, and then you finish it off on Saturday night with, uh, with the 100 meters final. And I'd never been to, again, like Cheltenham, you know, like this is how lucky I was. I'd never been to an Olympics. I'd never been to a track meet. Really? <laughs> had I had I even been out to the Irish seniors? I don't think I had. So like the literally like the first race I ever reported on was Usain Bolt breaking the world record in the hundred meters final in the Olympics. And um just a small brag for you there, Malachi. <laughs> but, but it's not even a brag, like it's kind of going no, like yeah. that was just yeah, I was so lucky, you know, really to be around it. And um it was extraordinary. Like it was, it was really amazing. Like the hundred meters final, the lights went down. They played a drum beat over the start to 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 mimic your pulse because whatever way they did it, and it was kind of needless theatre. And then this guy just he's the, he was the last one out of the blocks, and then he just sprinted past everybody with his lace open and uh, took like two tenths off the world record or whatever it was like and I remember writing at the time like God knows whether this is real or not like what do I know Who, you know none of us know if this is if we can believe this or not but Jesus Christ this was some event you know it was it was extraordinary to be there like it, you know afterwards everybody was sceptical and Hundred meters is a filthy event, and filthier than even the Tour de France. And like, I still don't know if it was real or not, but I do know that it was. It was amazing to be there at the time. It really, really it was really extraordinary. And to round off your list, um, we've gone back to the GA. It was a 2014 All-Ireland hurling final, drawn match between Kilkenny and Tipperary, which, fun fact, was my first ever All-Ireland final. And I just remember being absolutely shocked at like this big old man beside me screaming, come on, Bubbles, do it, Bubbles, come on, Bubbles. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> it was my first like proper experience of being in that sort of atmosphere, and it was yeah. incredible. Yeah, like another amazing game. Like you know, hurling hurling produces these games two or three times a year. Like it's what makes it the sport it is. I remember um, shortly about a week after this game, I got an email from two Danish journalists who were. I think they were they wrote for like Danish Lonely Planet or something like that. They I, they weren't sports journalists anyway. They were travel guys anyway, and they wanted to meet me for a coffee to talk about hurling because they had been in Dublin and had got tickets for the for this match. And so they wanted to include it in whatever they were writing. And I went for coffee with them. And the first thing I said to them was, I, I, like, I need you guys to know that what you saw on Sunday isn't, like, that's not every week. Like, you really were at something that will be remembered for years and years and years because that game was unbelievable quality. I always, when I talk about that game, I always refer to the fact that, okay, Bubbles, as you say, he hit a free from 100 metres at the end that went to Hawkeye. First ever use of Hawkeye in an All-Ireland final, and it was to decide the All-Ireland final. And had Hawkeye not existed, 
fair chance the umpires would have given the point and Tipperary would be all Ireland champions. But it went, it was given as a wide. Hawkeye gave it as a wide. And I always go back to the fact that that was the first, and that was in the 74th minute. It was the first wide since the 44th minute of that game. That was how high the quality was. The game between two teams that knew each other inside out, that had amazing players on both sides. Like Richie Hogan was the hurler of beer that year, and he was amazing in that game. Richie Power scored 2-1, uh, one of which he, he flicked over tip goalie uh, Darren Gleeson. It was a beautiful, gorgeous goal. And he t- I, I always remember him, he, he kind of went away wagging his finger after it, which is the sign of a true goal scorer who knows he's after doing exactly what he wanted to do. Um, and Bonner was amazing for Tipperary. He was, the, he was just, he got through this amount of work and everything that went through him worked out well for Tipperary. Um, but for a half an hour, in the towards the end of a game, an All Ireland final where everything was on the line, nobody missed, and I'll never forget that. Like it's very rare you come across quality like that in any sport, where basically for a half an hour, nobody made a mistake. Everybody knew that every shot had to go over the bar or into the net, and every shot went over the bar or into the net until the very very last one. And look, he was shooting from a hundred meters and. Hawkeye told, said he missed by a, an inch or two. So uh, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary game. And, you know, the reason, you know, it was so amazing was that uh, Brian Cody spent the following three weeks making damn sure that the replay would be nowhere near as enjoyable <laughs> and therefore Kilkenny won the replay. Malachi, thank you for taking us on that journey. I feel like I've been to five different events this morning and I haven't left my chair in the studio. It's been great. No problem. <laughs> Delighted to. <laughs> Thank you. Take it easy. It's so unexpected. You had to be there. Covering Celtic at that time was a brilliant thing. The atmosphere at Parkhead was always great. You had to be there. Nobody ever talks about this game. Nobody saw it. Uh, you had to be there. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 